Good morning. It is great to have you here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we're really glad that you are joining us now or maybe listening or watching later this next week. We've been in a series um, all summer, and we've been spending several weeks talking about this list, which Paul gives us. Paul was uh, one of the earliest followers of Jesus. Um, He's the greatest church planter in the first century, and he writes this letter to the Christians in the province of Galatia, and he includes this list, okay? Now, the, the goal of every Christian, okay, is to grow in maturity in Christ. It's to continue to grow up in maturity in Jesus. And it's with this list that Paul is addressing this in Galatians chapter 5. This is what it says in Galatians 5, 22. This is what he says. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now here is a truth that you need to know. That when you put your faith in Jesus... The Holy Spirit, God gives you his presence in the Holy Spirit, and he literally comes and he makes his home in you. God himself lives inside you. And so when Paul says, so we keep in step with the Spirit, all right, so how do we align our lives with God who's living in us once we put our faith in Jesus? The Spirit lives in us. How do we keep in step with him, his leading, experiencing more of his power growing and maturing in our lives, all right? Now, there, to do that, there are three quick things that we've said most weeks in this series, and you have to know them. I, I pray that you know them at the end of these nine weeks, okay, that we've been talking about this. One is that the Holy Spirit matures these qualities in you, okay? This is not something that you just work harder at and they become better at. The Holy Spirit matures and does the work in you. That's the first one. The second one is this. There is this war happening in our soul, in, our, in, in your life right now and in mine, and that is between the, the fleshly desires or our sinful nature, what it wants and what it desires, versus what the Holy Spirit of God wants for your life so that you can experience the full life Jesus came to give you. There's a war. There's a battle going on for your heart. The third thing is this, that the sum of all of this list of fruit is more important than the individual parts themselves. Okay, this is not a pick one from a buffet. This is a total list. It is the Holy Spirit working all of these things and growing all of these things in you as a package deal. Three really crucial things. Today we're talking about this word, goodness. We're talking about goodness. And our big idea today is this. Goodness is giving and forgiving. Goodness is giving and forgiving. I have to say, goodness is one of these qualities. When I saw earlier this summer that I was going to get this word to talk on, I was like, really, goodness? Like, it's so, it's so generic. It felt so generic to me. It was like, okay, patience, a little more fun. You know, joy. We, we, that guy, song, people write songs about joy. But goodness, it just felt so boring. And so, so, so what makes something good? Like, I, um, for example, I, I like good cheesecake. Okay? I'm, I'm a little obsessed with it. Okay, I love good cheesecake. I love the flavors, any kind, the presentation, it, um, the, the texture. Like, I just am obsessed 
with cheesecake. And all of those things contribute to the goodness of cheesecake. But the issue is, that's my opinion. I understand that there are people out there that don't like cheesecake. Now, I don't respect you, okay? And I don't like you. But, but I understand that you exist, okay? But, but that's my opinion. So, so what's something that, so what about a good vacation, okay? That seems like that's more easily identifiable. What makes a vacation good? I find myself sharing with people, hey, how was the trip? You know, you say a few things, but then I kind of find myself kind of leaning into this, well, it didn't rain at all. You know, the kids didn't argue much. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, it, the traffic wasn't bad. Like, I almost identify a good vacation based on the things that didn't happen, right? And I'm like, okay, so, so is goodness simply defined by the absence of certain undesirable things? Right? So, so what about, what about um, most of us would say we're good people, okay? So, okay, we're good. Yeah, I'm a good person. Most people are good people. But what makes a person good? Okay, what makes it, is it that they're nice? Or generous, but then I have to say, okay, well, are they nice to everyone? Are they generous all the time? What makes a person good? Is it if they're if they're good most of the time, or what is a good person just kind of defined by if they're if they're nice and generous more than fifty percent of the time? I don't know. You see, our definitions of goodness leave us with a problem. Your definitions of goodness leave us with a big gaping hole. We've got a problem. We've got to deal with it today. Goodness can't be based on subjective opinion like a good cheesecake because that's the, if that's the case, then everything is good and nothing is good, right? So goodness can't be measured simply by what's absent because you just know in your heart that goodness is much more substantive than that. And if we go, if we lean on to the goodness, well, I'm just a good person viewpoint, well, then we're left with a whole host of other questions, and that is wondering how good is good enough to be considered good? See, so, so what you and I need is we need something. We need a standard. This is what we need, okay? We need a standard from which we can measure goodness, we have a, a measuring stick from which all things good can be determined. That's what we need because we can't define it on our own. It's impossible. So we're going to look at this interaction today. It's an interaction that Jesus has, um, and it's recorded in Matthew's biography of Jesus' life in the New Testament of the Bible. And I think what you're going to see here in this unlikely passage or interaction, perhaps, you're going to see what Jesus has a lot to say about what goodness is. All right? And we're going to walk out of here, I hope, with a very clear understanding. So we're going to be in Matthew um, chapter, um, I don't even know because I did not mark it because I'm an idiot, um, 19. Okay, Matthew chapter 19. I swear. Okay. Matthew chapter 19. Um, let's start with verse 16. If you don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I'm so thrown off. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you out at the hub so that you can learn where Matthew 19 is like I have not. Okay? <laughs> so if you don't have a Bible, um, we have them out there. They're free. We want you to have it. Matthew chapter 19, um, verse 16. Let's see if we can recover. All right. This is what it says. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, all these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. There's a lot in there that we're not going to get to today, but there's a little piece of it that we are. Here's the first thing that I want you to know, and I, and I encourage you to write these down or make, take careful note of them. All right, Here's the first thing. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit maturing goodness in your life, here's the thir- first thing you need to know. Goodness requires a look at who you really are. Goodness first requires you to look deeply inside at who you really are. Now, the Hebrew word for good is tob, tob, T-O-B, tob. And what it means is, is joyful, pleasant, agreeable. And that's sometimes how you and I would define goodness, all right? And now the Greek words often signify this uh, moral uprightness. And that is a way that you and I would define goodness as well. Uh, the Greek words talks about moral uprightness. And often you and I will approach Jesus or we will approach faith or religion, all right, expecting for goodness to be measured in the achievements of morality. This is the only way that our human brains can wrap our mind around goodness here on earth is, is how do we measure our achievements of good things, like the traditions of religion that you and I will practice from time to time or in a given calendar year, or the sacraments, these, these um, holy actions of, of, of religious duties, Okay, or maybe it's a church attendance. Let's just call it what it is. All right, that feels good. That makes us feel like we're good people if we show up to church once in a while. Maybe it's having the right beliefs about something. If you're on the the, the right side or the correct side of an issue or of a of a doctrine, then you are good. Maybe it's because you make better moral decisions than perhaps the majority of the people around you. I don't know. Do you understand? That's how we approach Jesus. And that's what this man defined as being good. And this is how he approaches Jesus as well. So this is not uncommon, okay? What things should I do to be considered good? That's the question he's asking Jesus. What should I be doing? What good things should I do? And Jesus turns the table on him immediately. And Jesus says, well, there's only one person who is good. And in the the, the further conversation, Jesus is implying, and you're not him. Okay, that, I mean, that's what the end of the story, that's where we get, and you're not him. So Paul says it like this, when he's writing to the Romans, Paul is actually going to be much more pointy. He's going to take Jesus' truth, and Paul's just going to kind of lay it out really bare for us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. This is what Paul says when he writes to the Christians in Rome. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's a little bit more pointed. Now, what Paul's describing there is the condition of your life and mine, the condition of your heart and mine, if God doesn't intervene. Left on our own, Jesus and Paul say that you're not good. Now, we advocate for the exact opposite, though. Right? Our strongest defense of universalism in our culture or in our, in, our, in our world is that as long as people are good, God has to accept them, right? And I can't tell you how much I want that to be true. 
as long as people are just sincere, God must accept them. As long as we're good people, certainly God will accept them. And I want that to be true. But there's a major issue with this, and we have to call it out right immediately. Okay, the problem with denying God's sovereignty, and God's sovereignty is as defined as he knows and determines only what is best and good and true. He is not influenced by outside opinion. He alone knows what is best and true and good. And the problem with us denying God's sovereignty is that someone else has to step into the role. So if we're not going to look to God to find out what good is, someone else has to determine what good is. Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Who gets to set the standard for what's good? Think about it like this. Two guys rob a bank. Okay? It's bad. It's illegal. Okay? It's not good. Okay? One of them did it to support a drug habit. The other one did it to feed his family. Are they both bad? Is there one that's good and one that's not? There's two bullies at school. Okay? It's bad. Unacceptable. Under any condition. It should be punished. Certainly. One bullies because he's arrogant and he fights to feel good. The other one just had a mom who walked out on his family a week ago. Are both of them good, or is one bad and the other good? Maybe they're both bad. What is bad? What's good? When we put ourselves in the position to determine ourselves what is good and what is bad, what we have then to do is we have to unravel this moral ball of tangled Christmas lights, and you've got to untangle it all perfectly. And you can't. So what makes something good then? Is it the action alone that makes something good or bad? Or does the motivation of the heart come into play that makes something good or bad? Can you, see, can you answer that? You see, we all have bad hearts. Don't we? I mean, our thoughts, my feelings... My attitudes, my choices, my desires. Who among us in this room or anyone you know is good inside and out? Well, what about our motivation? See, we said if you want to feel, if you want to experience God's goodness, the Holy Spirit maturing you in goodness, you have to understand very clearly who you are. So, what about your motivation to be good? Goodness is something that often we will chase after. We want to be good people. We'll chase after because it feels virtuous, right? For the sake of being virtuous, for the sake of being good. But here's something you need to understand, okay? When we strive to be good for our own benefit, we are not good. Goodness for your own sake is not goodness at all. What we call good often in our lives, is actually just ego. In fact, that's the opposite of good. Do you know the opposite of good is not bad. The opposite of good is just ego, your ego. That's the opposite of good. We want to know that we're good. We want to know that we're doing good. In fact, not only that, we want others to know that we're good, don't we? Don't you want to, other people to know and see you being good? Of course you do. 
we want to know at least that we're gooder than someone else, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? We do. We want to know that. We want to be able to put ourselves up against someone else and say, that we're, well, we're, we're, we're gooder than them. I can't say better because that's not a fruit of the Spirit. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so gooder is what you get, okay? Okay? We often will strive for goodness because we want to satisfy a deep need in our own hearts to know that we are something that you really aren't. And Jesus' response to this man points out a fatal flaw in every human being, every man and woman. He says, good, you want to be good? Well, good means that you've done everything that God's asked you to do. You've lived up to his standards. You've given him and surrendered to him every bit of yourself perfectly and selflessly. You've held nothing back. Then, and only then, will you be good. Here's the second thing, that if you want to see God mature goodness in your heart and your life, you got to know who you really are. But here's the second thing, goodness requires an understanding of who God is. Goodness understands an understanding of who God is. Look at Jesus' first response in verse 17 there in Matthew 19. This is what he says. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. So Jesus, uh, Jesus hears this man ask a question and say, okay, I hear you ask this question, but let me, let, me, let, me, let me just stop you right there. Because you have an assumption that needs corrected. You want to be good, but you actually need a measuring device by which to find out what is actually good before you know if you are or not. So Jesus is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're asking the wrong question. You should be asking just what is good. And Jesus answers him, goodness is, is knowing God. And let me put it like this. Goodness begins in knowing God. What God does and what God says is what goodness is. If you want a definition, what God does and what God says, that's what goodness is. But we have this pesky habit of insinuating our definition of what is good onto God, don't we? We do this. We do this all the time. Say, well, if I believe something sincerely... Or, or if, I, if I love something with all of my heart, then that must be good and God must accept it. Or we say, listen, God, if I think something is right and just and I walk towards that and I go down that path, God must respond by upholding what I believe is right and just because I believe it sincerely. And God must uphold that. God must move in that, in, in that area. Maybe you don't see God good at all. And that maybe you don't see God as being good at all. Maybe you've been hurt. You've been impacted by, by evil, and you wonder how a good God could allow it. But let me, let me just help you for a minute. And I don't mean, I, I don't want to diminish your pain. I don't mock your pain. And in fact, I'm encouraging you in it. If you've ever thought, how could a good God do blank? Or I don't think that God is good because of this. Uh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You need a new definition of what good is. Because it's not your definition. We don't get to question God. We can question God about a lot of things. But one thing that Jesus said is you really don't get to question God or his goodness based on your definition of what goodness is. Because Jesus says that God is is goodness, and he is the standard by which all things are measured that are good. 
you understand that? This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Goodness is known to you by how God has treated you. And how has God treated you? And Peter just says it so beautifully. He says, God gave you his spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus, God breathes his Holy Spirit into your life. His presence. It says, and, 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 and God didn't wait for you to come and find him. God pursued you. He went after you. He didn't wait for you to search for him. He called you. He wants you to know how good he is. He wants you to experience his love and his goodness. Jesus went to the cross for your benefit and for mine. See, God's goodness is evidenced in his mercy and forgiveness. That's what goodness is. Even though you weren't good, even though we know that we're not good and we're confused about even what goodness is, we have a God who's so good and so full of mercy who gave everything for us and forgives us. Goodness is giving and forgiving. And the more we get to know God, the more that you get to know God, the more of his goodness you will know you'll experience more of his goodness. And get this, get this, okay, because this, this is important. The more that goodness matures in your heart from knowing God and experiencing his goodness, the more you'll, you will bend your life to a posture of expressing God's goodness to other people as well. Here's the third thing. If you want to experience, and I believe that you do, God's Holy Spirit growing and maturing goodness in your heart, you have to have an understanding of who you really are. You have to understand who God is. Here's a third thing. Goodness requires being before doing. Goodness requires being before doing. As this young man approached Jesus and walked away sad because he tried as hard as he could to do the right good things and he couldn't wrap his mind around it, so he walked away. Jesus turns his attention to his disciples who have been witnessing and watching this entire conversation and interaction. Look in verse 23, same chapter, Matthew 19. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? An excellent question. Because in their minds, in fact, in the, in the, in the ancient world, in their culture, the assumption at the time that were rich people were favored by God. They were wealthy, and so they had done many good things they had done the right things. They had arrived, and therefore they were wealthy because God blessed them for their goodness. That was the assumption. And to hear Jesus say, you can't do enough good things in order to earn God's favor, then they are in a dilemma. Jesus' disciples were, were shell-shocked, as you and I might be now. Because if their question is, and it's a darn good one, is, well, then if he can't be good enough, then what hope is there? Where do we have to go from here? And Jesus said, nowhere. 
Exactly. You have nowhere. And then verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You and I have a goodness problem. Because goodness requires you to be good before you can do anything good. And since you aren't good, you can't do anything good. So we need someone who is good to be goodness for us. Don't you? That's what Jesus is saying to this man. You call me good? You're right. In Mark, the man says, good teacher, what thing must I do? Matthew says, teacher, what good thing must I do? Mark says that he says, good teacher, what thing should I do to inherit? Either way you look at it, Jesus says, you think I'm good? You're right. I'm God. And you keep trying to be good, and you will be crushed under the weight of your sin. And the mind-blowing thing is, Jesus was infinitely good. He was the best there was, and he was crushed under the weight of your sin. So who do you think you are? If he was crushed under the weight of your sin, how could you stand? You can't. And that's why Jesus says, I need you to give up your definitions of goodness. I need you to give up your, your try-as-you-might definitions of goodness, because, and you need to exchange them all for me. We will only be good, listen, we will only be good when we allow Jesus to do his good work in our hearts. It's the only hope that you have. And I want to encourage you today as I close to express that goodness to someone. First off this, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and experienced his goodness and faithfulness wash over you and surrender to baptism. We're going to celebrate baptisms here in just a couple minutes and the next hour as well. And if you've never made that decision, maybe you didn't come today prepared for that. Uh, we don't care. We've got some stuff for you. All right. And you can come forward as we sing here, and, and I'll be over here, sitting over here, and, and I, we would love to talk to you. Come forward after the service, and Chris or I will love to talk to you about that. For those of you who have surrendered, and you've been allowing God's goodness to pour over you, this week I just want to encourage you to extend that goodness to someone else. If there's someone that you need to forgive, then do it and let it go. Release yourself from unforgiveness. Church, our God is good, and he loves you desperately. So I just pray that you rest in that. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for doing what seems impossible. Thank you for doing for me what is undeserved. Thank you for showing me a definition of something that I cannot understand and I cannot perform. Grow your goodness in me, Father. Do it in every single one of us. 
I love you, I trust you, and I thank you for Jesus. Amen.